The following audio is from Shiloh Presbyterian Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. More information about Shiloh Presbyterian Church is available at shilohopc.org. Returning to Exodus chapter 12, I'm going to read some selected verses this evening and explain why afterwards. Uh, Exodus chapter 12, it's on page 53 if you're using the Pew Bible. Exodus chapter 12, and we're going to start uh, with verses 1 through 13. Let's worship the Lord by listening very carefully to this, the public reading of his word. Exodus chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head with its legs and its inner parts, and you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover, for I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land. Of Egypt. Now, if you'll jump down to verse 21, we're going to read 21 through 28. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans, and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, and dip it in the blood that is in the basin, and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of this house until the morning, for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the doors, over the door, and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. You shall observe this right as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshipped. And the people of Israel went and did so as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron 
so they did. And now to verses 43 and to the end of the chapter. Verse 43, And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, This is the statute of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat of it, but every slave that is bought for money may eat of it after you have circumcised him. No foreigner or hired worker may eat of it. It shall be eaten in one house. You shall not take any of the flesh outside the house, and you shall not break any of its bones. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. If a stranger shall, show, shall sojourn with you and would keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised. Then he may come near and keep it. He shall be as a native of the land, but no uncircumcised person shall eat of it. There shall be one law for the native and for the stranger who sojourns among you. All the people of Israel did just as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron, and on that very day the Lord brought the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their hosts. Amen. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let's seek his his blessing and let's pray together. Lord, how blessed we are to be your people and to have this, your blessed word, again before us this evening. Father, would you come to us? Grant that as we receive your word of truth, we might receive it with the power of your spirit working in our hearts. Father, give us a hunger for your word and feed us, feed us this evening, uh, nourish our souls and teach us more faithfully to, to walk in all of your ways, even the way of the covenant by your grace in Jesus Christ, in whose name we do pray. Amen. Well, as you recall, we were in this chapter last week, and Pastor, help, uh, Pastor Holst helped us to think deeply and very helpfully, among other things, to think about that, that dreadful, that unforgettable night we read about in verse 30 of this text. Just imagine it again. Imagine it if you can. Unimaginable, really, to think that in, in every single household throughout all of the land of Egypt, they were all mourning death. They were weeping mourning the death of every firstborn. But, but among the Israelites in the land of, of Goshen, there was no death, at least not among any people, no death in any of those homes marked with the blood of the Passover lamb. What a testimony of the tr- uh, this was, of the truth, of what the Apostle John would later write in the book of Revelation, Revelation 13.8, about that book. God has a book. Children, do you know that? That God has a book. From all eternity, he's had this book, and what are, what, what, what's written in that book? The names of all those who would be redeemed by the blood of the Lamb of God. It's referred to sometimes as the Lamb's Book of Life, the names of God's elect. As Pastor Hulse promised last week, we're going to think more deeply this, this evening, a bit more about the Passover institution. As he and I discussed it further, we decided we'll focus on the Passover institution this week. Next week, he'll focus more particularly on the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And that's the reason I read the, the, the particular portions I did this morning or this evening. But we see in our text just how important it was to Israel's identity, the Passover institution. And we, 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 are, we understand why that is, don't we? We were reminded of its importance even this evening as we uh, affirm those words in our affirmation of faith 
particularly those words, the Paschal Lamb, the, the, the Passover Lamb, that is. The, the Passover institution was, was such an important type by which the work of Christ was foresignified. We read about how by the power of the Holy Spirit, this was at that time, uh, this was one of those sufficient and efficacious means by which the elect were instructed and built up in their faith in him. The the importance of the Passover institution is powerfully underscored by what we see in our text this evening. And we see not only the event itself of that night, but we see this extensive instruction which surrounded the Passover institution. So we have instructions. Instructions, some of which I think were, were specific to that unique night, the actual night in which the Lord struck down every firstborn in Egypt. But as we see clearly in verses 24 and 25, uh, instructions which were also for the coming generations. The institution was, was so important, again, for how they were to, to view themselves, who they were, how they were to live as God's people. And indeed, these instructions are so important for us as well this evening. Our message this evening is this, that for Israel then and for us now, we see the Passover institutions, important instructions about the identity of those sanctified by the blood of the Lamb. Obviously, so, so much we could say about the Passover institution, but as we consider the text before us this evening, I'm going to suggest, uh, I'm going to offer four things, four points about what we learn from the Passover institution, we're going to consider, first, how it marked the nation's beginning. Secondly, how it taught of the urgency of the need for deliverance. Thirdly, how it reminded them about remaining in the place of safety. And then lastly, how it was a meal for the family of the circumcised. So consider first how it marked the nation's beginning. So here we have in this, this very important Passover institution chapter. What, what are the very first words which we read about the Passover? Verse 2 says, this month shall be for you the beginning, the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Up to this point, the, the Israelites were probably uh, following a different, the, the, probably the Canaanite calendar, which began in the fall, the time of harvest, uh, the agricultural calendar. But here God announces this is going to change. Just how, how significant, how important in the minds of the people did God desire these events to be? All of these events, of course, the plague, the, 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 all of the plagues, the exodus, and particularly central, this event of the Passover night and the Passover institution. This was, this was everything. Throw out your old calendar, right? Uh, start new from here. It was like, like the world was ending and a new world would begin. And that's fitting because as we've seen that the, that the plagues were something of a work of decreation and God was, was raising up Israel to be his new creation. And that, that, that glorious reality would now be reflected even in her calendar. Time would begin now. Of course, every, every annual cycle, whether the year doesn't just continue going on and on, it eventually comes to an end every year. That's a reminder for us, is it not, that this world will one day come to an end and the new world will begin. 
Well, by God's design, it all began, the new began, and it all, all followed from the sacrifice of the Paschal Lamb. And so the Lord wanted that, that truth to be so powerfully impressed upon the, the hearts and the minds of his people. And so the new year was to begin with people going out and selecting a lamb. That word for lamb can refer to a sheep or a goat, as we see in verse 5. But now notice in verse 3 that they were to procure this animal on the 10th day, but they would keep it until the 14th day. So they kept this for four days. Just stop and think about the, the kind of impression that would have had on, uh, on, on the people to do this. And we, we might think, well, back in those days, they didn't think much about their animals, right? They were just property. They didn't develop any kind of emotional attachment to an animal the way we might to our pets today. Well, that, that's not true. All you have to do is think ahead to the, the, the time when David would sin with Bathsheba, and then God would, would send Nathan the prophet. And you remember how he rebuked David with, with that, that, that prophetic indictment by means of a story, something of a parable. And it was about a man who had this precious little ewe lamb that was like a daughter to him and how hard it was for him to lose that precious little lamb. Well, here for Israel, every year began with the loss of a lamb, having to set apart a lamb and and keep it for four days, knowing that lamb would soon be lost. That was a big deal. A year old, that means it had just reached the point of being full-grown. It had its whole life ahead of it, its whole adult life. Not old, uh, not close to death, not sickly. It had to be perfect, without blemish. And so this was, this was a costly sacrifice. And the entire congregation, every household was, was to slaughter its lamb at the very same time, all of them at twilight. What an event. We stop and think when, the, when the, that first night this happened, there had been no sacrifices for over 400 years. You know, the people, they'd, they'd heard about the sacrifices, the sacrifice offered by Abel and Noah, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, all of the, the, the sacrifices in the book of Genesis. But actually now to experience it like this, to actually participate this way, keep the lamb for four days, then slaughter it, then take its blood in a basin. You can imagine maybe children even holding that basin with blood in it while the father was taking and applying that blood to the houses of every door. So yes, this was huge. This was a big event. And yet at the same time, they must, they must have seen how this event had to be pointing to something greater. You know, just think about it. As painful as it was, and yet it couldn't compare to the horror which all of Egypt was experiencing, right? The loss of every, every firstborn male person, the sons, not to mention the firstborn of the beasts. Could any sacrifice of a lamb, could any sacrifice of any mere animal take the place of such a horrendous judgment? Well, we know the answer. It could not We know the answer that the Passover was pointing beyond itself. It was a sign of what what God would one day do in offering up his own son. It would be the true lamb of God whose blood sacrificed on the cross would be sufficient to take away the sins of all who would ever trust in him. And so the Passover was a testimony of the truth, that, that wonderful truth, 
Every new year, the new nation, the new world would all come because of Christ. It would all be the fruit of his finished work. It would all flow out of what he had done. And it would be a reminder of him who was the savior of the world. And it would be a reminder then of the urgency of the need to run to him. That brings us to our second point this evening about the Passover, that it taught of the urgent need of deliverance. If you look again at verse 11, it says, In this manner you shall eat with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. You know, this was, this was centuries before the, the brilliant invention of fast food as we know it, right? There were, there were no restaurants with drive-through service. The world was yet suffering without Chick-fil-A. I don't know how they ever survived, right? And this was to be uh, eaten in the home, but it had to be prepared quickly. The lamb had to be roasted. Perhaps this is one of the reasons, roast the lamb. Don't boil the lamb. That would have been faster. It was to be eaten in haste and in, in anticipation of an, uh, an imminent and a fast departure in our, in our modern context we might if you, the children can imagine maybe what what this would have been like if you're you're planning dinner with your family but while dinner is being prepared you're you're loading up the family van right you're you're, you're backing the van into the driveway and getting it all loaded the the, the key is in the ignition we're thinking about a, a a fast departure and this is not a meal where you get ready for bed and and eat in your pajamas no dress up right um, put on your shoes, have your, your staff in your hand, be ready for travel. You can imagine perhaps their minds uh, preoccupied with thoughts the way you were sometimes preoccupied as we're planning for a vacation. Have I remembered everything? Have I packed my passport and everything that I will need? But this was not, this was not a vacation. They would, they'd, be, they'd be leaving Egypt for good. The bitter herbs, perhaps also, perhaps also, uh, because they would have been a bit uh, easy uh, to, to uh, prepare more quickly. But would, it would also have left in their mouths a bitter taste, reminding them of their harsh slavery which they'd endured in Egypt. And so, what a powerful last impression! Yes, to 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 have on the people, both in terms of the the, the taste in your mouth and the the memory in your minds. As I said earlier, these instructions were, were at least probably unique to that first Passover event. But again, verse 25, verses 24 and 25 make it clear that, that at least large part of this, these, these things were to be repeated every year. Obviously, there would be differences in the future, right? There would be a temple, and it, eventually the, the Passover lamb would be slaughtered in the courtyard of the temple, and I don't know then whether the future generations were, were always to eat the Passover with their sandals on. I suppose it would have been fitting to do so. You know, that the act of observing the Passover meal was to be a way of sort of uh, expressing your solidarity with God's people and participating in the very event itself. But at any rate, the message of salvation from judgment was so powerfully connected to the urgent call to flee, flee. Of course, initially they were to flee into their homes as the place of safety. But ultimately, after the angel of death had passed through, the urgent call then would be not to remain in their homes. No, they were not to remain 
anywhere in Egypt at all. They were to flee. It might call to mind, as we were reminded this morning, the destruction which came upon Sodom and Gomorrah, Genesis chapter 19. And we remember how, how a lot and his family were commanded to uprise, get out of the wicked city which would be destroyed. Well, now it was, it was, it was Egypt would be destroyed, which would be destroyed, as it were. Perhaps that's why in, in anticipation of, the, of fleeing Egypt, whatever remained of the Passover lamb was to be burned up completely. But what a powerful lesson this was about a, the, the call of the gospel. The gospel reminds us that this is a world which is under judgment. You know, truthfully, Egypt was not completely destroyed. The nation did remain. But friends, a day will come with this, when this entire world will be destroyed. Everything, the heavens and the earth, all of it burned up with fire, as we read about in Second Peter chapter 3. And it's described in Revelation as the great day of wrath. In fact, the wrath of the Lamb. John describes it in Revelation 6, 15 through 17. Describes how, how all people, the kings, the great ones, the generals, the rich and the powerful, everyone, even slaves and free, all will be fleeing. And what will they be doing? They'll be running and hiding, hiding themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains They'll be calling, in fact, begging the mountains of the rocks, come, fall on us, hide us, they'll say, hide us from the face uh, of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Verse 17 says, for the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? They'll be trying to run, trying to hide, but on that day it will be too late And that's why there's such an urgent call to run now. Run to and remain in the place of safety. The Passover event teaches us about that. That brings us to our third point, which is just that, that it reminded them about remaining in the place of safety. So here we're focusing on verses 21 through 28 of our text. We we see that it was the elders who were first gathered and given the instructions and commanded to pass along these instructions regarding how to observe the Passover feast. We see that the blood was to be smeared with the use of hyssop branches. These these were uh, branches that were commonly used as brooms or for cleaning. It was a common thing for us in Africa to see people find certain plants that were good to, to, to be tied together, and they would use them for, for cleaning or for sweeping their compounds. Well, it seems in ancient Egypt, uh, hyssop plants were, were used for cleaning, and for that reason, they were uh, associated with, with purification. And so it was fitting that then that they would be used for the smearing of the blood of the Passover lamb. I'm going to use a, a term or a couple of terms here that might be new to you. I was first introduced to this term myself when I was in seminary. Have you ever heard it suggested that the Passover feast could be referred to as, or that the feast of Passover could be referred to as the feast of hover over or cover over, cover over or hover over? Why would anyone suggest that? Well, if you look at verse 23 of our text, notice that we have that word, pass, twice in the verse there. There are actually two different Hebrew verbs that are used. The the verse begins by saying, for the Lord will pass through 
to strike the Egyptians. That word pass through there, the Hebrew word abar, can mean to pass over indeed. But as the verse continues, it says, And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over. Now there it's a, it's a different word for pass. It's Hebrew, pasach. And that's the word which can mean, as I said, to cover or hover over. And so, so we might think that it's the only idea here is that the Lord is the one coming through, uh, destroying, but when he comes to the homes of the Israelites, he sees the blood of the Passover and he simply leaves them behind and does nothing, does not destroy. On one level, that is indeed what happens and that seems to be the net effect, no doubt. But as you look carefully at the verse, you notice it's not simply that the Lord passes over so as not to destroy No, we see that he actually passes over and he protects. It says the Lord will pass over. Again, the idea might be cover over or hover over. He will will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. So, so the destroyer is passing through. It's like in First Chronicles chapter 21 when because of David's sin of, of taking that census, the Lord sent the destroyer to bring destruction. Here God was, was sending the destroyer who would have destroyed even those of Israel. As we saw last week, they would have come under the very same judgment, the death of the firstborn. But what happened? The Lord, when he saw the blood of the sacrificial lamb, what did he do? He came, he, he hovered over, he covered, he protected his people. I say hover over because the imagery there is, is like the imagery of a mother bird who hovers over, who spreads her wings over to protect, to cover and protect her young. In fact, the very same word is used in Isaiah chapter 31, verse 5, which indeed likens the Lord to a, a hovering bird, hovering over and protecting Jerusalem. It's such a marvelous picture for us of God's wonderful protection of his people. We see the same imagery elsewhere in the scriptures. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 11 says, like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that flutters over its young, spreading out its wings, catching them, bearing them on its pinions. Psalm 17, verse 8, the psalmist says, hide me in the shadow of your wings. Or Psalm 91, verse 4, he will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. This hovering imagery, though not always the very same verb, but the image is seen other places in the Bible. We think of the very beginning of the Bible, at creation, where, where we, we read of the Spirit of God hovering over the waters. How fitting that at this, this Passover event, God would again hover over his people, the very people whom he is forming as his new creation Later in Exodus, we'll see that the glory cloud hovering over the temple, Exodus chapter 40, verse 38. And before that, at the Red Sea event, it was was the cloud which protected the people of Israel by coming between them and their their pursuing bloodthirsty enemies, the Egyptians, serving as a barrier, a wall between them. The Lord continued to provide guidance as well as protection by means of that covering or hovering clouds of the psalmist writes in Psalm 105, verse 39. He spread a cloud 
for a covering and fire to give light by night. If you you think back then, what what it must have been like, imagine it, children, on that Passover night, there you are inside the homes on the night, and and the Lord has given that command, none of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning. There's the Lord hovering over, protecting you. What would you do? It would be a bit tempting. I wonder what it's like out there. I wonder what the angel of, I wonder what the destroyer looks like. Maybe I could just go out and just take a little peek. You see, this was such a a powerful lesson about remaining in the place of safety. Sadly, it's a lesson which the the, the covenant people did not learn all so well, did they? We think about how later they would turn from the Lord and he uh, he would send judgment against them, even in the form of their enemies coming against them. And at times, rather than humbling themselves before them, repenting of their sin, Turning to the Lord and seeking his protection, they'd look to other places. They'd, they'd, they'd turn away from the Lord. In fact, in one instance, we know that they actually, amazingly, they turned back and sought the help of Egypt. And they were condemned by the prophet for doing so. The prophet Isaiah would write, woe to those who go down to Egypt for help. Woe to those ones. They go to Egypt, but they do not look to the Holy One of Israel. That's Isaiah chapter 31, verse 1. And in fact, uh, one chapter earlier, we see these words, Isaiah chapter 30, verse 3. Therefore, shall the protection of Pharaoh turn to your shame and the shelter in the shadow of Egypt to your humiliation. What powerful words. Christian, where are you looking for your hope, for your, for your place of protection for your place of safety. Probably good words for us to hear after an election week where perhaps we were tempted to look to to politics or look to to government rather than look to the Lord, right? Where's your house of safety? Republican-controlled House of Representatives, perhaps? Ultimately, there's no safety. No safety anywhere but in Christ and in the Lord. The only household that is safe is that household which is covered by the blood of the Passover lamb. And so this event, which they would relive every year, this Passover institution should have served as such a powerful lesson for them. Israel, trust in the Lord. He is your help and your shield. Remain under the protection of his covenant grace. What a lesson this is for us. A lesson about always looking to and clinging to Christ. Again, dear Christians, there is no safety outside of him. Without him, there's nothing, nothing but death, destruction, judgment. And in fact, let that be a a call to any here this evening who are not trusting in Christ. I don't know if there's anyone here who's, who's never truly come to Christ and believed in him and committed your life to him. If that's true, may this be the night that you see your need of him. May this image be the, the means by which God would show you. If, if you're not in Christ this evening, you, you're yet with Pharaoh and with Egypt, and the destroyer will come again, against you in judgment. But to think that here the Lord graciously invites you to come under his protection. Come. Come do as Ruth the Moabitess later did. You remember how Boaz described how Ruth had, had come to take refuge under the wings of the God 
of Israel. Well, this, this same God is the God who has offered up his own sin, his own son, for sinners just like you. You do well to remember this evening that when Jesus bled and died on the cross, he was suffering a judgment worse than all of the suffering experienced by Egypt that night. And to think this evening that any who trust in him, if you would but trust in him, he will rescue you, save you, rescue even you from eternal death, and all of your sins will be forgiven, and you will have eternal life. There's the call of the gospel, right? Come and take refuge in the shadow of the cross of the Lamb of God. Believers, let this be a reminder for all of us. There's no place of safety save in Christ. Let us remain in him. And I think it's really that very same principle which is behind our last point this evening, the last thing we consider about the Passover, is that this was a meal for the family of the circumcised. So here we're focusing on that last section, then, verses 43 through 51. And note here how the meal was. Really, on the one hand, it was exclusive, and yet on the other hand, it was a meal that was wonderfully inclusive. So consider first how it was exclusive. The end of verse 43 says, No foreigner shall eat of it. And this was not to be treated like a meal, you know, where you go to a foreign country and say, can I see what kind of food you people eat? Can I eat it the way you eat it? Now, the, the Passover was not to be treated that way. Part of the reason was that, that God wanted this to, to remain pure. If you notice the command in verse 46, not to break the bones. Don't break off part of that sacrificial lamb to be taken and eaten outside of the house. The the Passover principle, the Passover meal in Israel's worship in general was was not to be carried off and mixed mixed in, mixed together with the practices of the the, the nations that did not know the Lord. Of course, wonderfully, the no breaking of the bones was also prophetic of the, the sacrifice of Christ, whose bones, not one of his bones, would be broken, John 19, verse 36. But, but nor did the Lord want the worship principles of the foreign pagan nations to be brought in and mixed together with that of his holy people. The Lord was zealous not to allow the people to dilute or to adulterate Israel's worship in any way. So, so no unbelieving, no, un, no foreigners were to come in and participate in the meal. This was to remain in the household. This was to be eaten only by those who were of the household of Israel's faith. And again, we know why this was. Because the object of Israel's faith was Christ, the Lamb of God. And he's the only deliverer, the only place of safety for sinners. And so God's, God's people were in no way to compromise that message, that need, the urgent call to flee to him alone, to remain in him alone. Salvation is found exclusively in him, and so this was an exclusive meal. And yet note that it was also inclusive. It it was for all those who would embrace the covenant and become part of the household of faith, even slaves. Verse 44 says, but every slave that is bought for money may eat of it after you have circumcised him. What a beautiful sign this was of the wonderful things to come, that God, God had a, a great plan, that his great salvation would be proclaimed to all, those of every 
economic class and those of every race. We keep in mind that it was not only the Israelites who came up out of Egypt. We read in verse 38 that there was a mixed multitude who also went up with them. And so in verse 48, then of our text, we read that, that if a stranger shall sojourn with you and would keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised, then he may come near and keep it. He shall be as a native of the land, but no uncircumcised person shall eat of it. And so this was a, a meal only for the family of the circumcised. Obviously, it was only the males. They represented the community this way. But what a, what a reminder that the nations would come and they would believe, they would join the household of the circumcised. We know from Romans chapter 4 and verse 11 that circumcision was a, a sign, it was a seal of that righteousness, the righteousness of Christ, which would be given to all who believe. Indeed, it was even be a sign of the work of the Spirit in the hearts of those to whom God would grant such faith. And by God's grace, uh, such faith indeed would be granted to those of, of every economic class, those of every nation. What grace. What grace indeed. Let me leave us just with two, two points of application this evening. Let the Passover fill us with evangelistic zeal and then more generally zeal to live as God's holy people and to walk in all obedience because that's what the scriptures teach. But evangelistic zeal, God has not called us to simply hide in our homes, right? He's called us to, 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 to go forth we, we, we hide in Christ, but we do not hide the truth of Christ. We do not hide the gospel, like the old children's song used to say, hide it under a bushel? No, I'm going to let it shine in our praying for the lost, in the way we live our lives before the lost, in our speaking, even speaking of the gospel to those who are lost. Let us do so in such a way, in confidence that Jesus, he is the Lamb of God, shed to take away the sins of all of the world. Indeed, for all those whose names written in the book of life, before the foundation of the world. Isn't it marvelous to think that a day will come and we will be gathered with all of them. We will see them. We'll see Christ. There'll be much more than simply names in a book. They'll be our precious, dear, blood-bought brothers and sisters with whom we'll be gathered together for all eternity and we'll be blessed forever together to behold the grace and the glory of our Savior as we cry out that wonderful song, Worthy is the Lamb, worthy is the Lamb, the one whose blood was shed for those of every tribe and tongue and nation, every people. Worthy is the Lamb to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing forever and ever and ever. That's our hope. And those who have that hope will press on and be zealous to, 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 to live holy lives. I want to close this evening by having us consider what the, the message of the Passover lamb meant for the church to whom Peter wrote, 1 Peter chapter 1 and verses 13 through 21. Peter wrote, Therefore, preparing your minds for action, I can't help in, one, in some ways whether he's thinking, have your shoes on, have your staff in hand, be ready, ready for action, preparing your man's minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace, the grace we just thought about, 
the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so what kind of impact should this have? As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's needs, deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but here's the central piece, right? But with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and your hope are in God. O Israel, hope in the Lord, hope in the Savior, hope in Christ, and live those holy lives in obedience by by his grace for the glory of our God. Let's pray together. Help us, O Lord God, so to do. Help us to live holy lives. Help us to, to be serious and zealous for obedience, O Lord. Indeed, we would cry out this evening, worthy is the Lamb. May that be our song all of our days. Would you take your word, Lord God, this evening? Indeed, impress upon our hearts and our minds the message of the Passover institution as it leads us again to our Savior. Grant, O Lord God, that our, that our a trust might be holy in him and that we might treasure him alone. Grant that we would always hide beneath the shadow of, of your wings. And Father, grant then that we would go forth declaring your greatness and your excellencies to those around us. Yes, Lord, may our light so shine before those around us. They, they might see your good works and that they might come and give glory to you, our Father in heaven. We ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen.